I wanted to, I know we've been going through our series of Acts, and I think the joys of being a small church is we have flexibility to do things differently, and, and that's one of the, the things that for me is quite important, but I want to play a little, it's like 30 or 40 seconds from a sermon I heard this week, and it was just a statement this, this young lady made as she was preaching at Glenridge in Durban. And something of this stirred my heart, and I want to share a little bit around that. So just, I'm hoping this is going to be loud enough. Another Glenridge moment. Can I just say, what a privilege is it to be part of this community? So, so we were in this moment singing, your love is an open Jordan. And it was like, there was this groundswell of excitement. It was like, in my spirit, I could feel myself like in the Jordan River with a wall of water next to me. And I could see the promised land. I could see Durban ruled by peace. I could see people finding freedom. I could see the Spirit of God in, in the city. I could see South Africa being synonymous with justice and administration and economy. I could see it. I could see what the promised land looked like. And, and it was in the middle of that moment that I felt the Father whisper and say to me, my girl, in this season, I need you to live like a star breathing, tender whispering, death raising God of the universe is your dad. And I need you to risk like he's your dad. So if I do one thing this morning, I really hope. So I just wanted to, to play that portion. And one, I love the prophetic just picture of Durban of South Africa and something of what's happening here. I love the, the imagery depicted in that song, Win This Nation Back. Good morning, good morning. Hi, and this is uh, Freddie, and Hello. this is Enoch. Enoch. Hello. Freddie, welcome. How's it going? So, Freddie, we're sharing a little bit about just uh, the possibility of a venue that we're looking at. And as much as this place has been a gift for being able to, to do church, and there's a season in that, we, we're trusting for um, bigger things because we need space to do what God's called us to do. And this young lady, as I, I shared this audio clip, this young lady shares of one, the prophetic picture over Durban, prophetic picture over South Africa, this thing of our nation just being something so incredible for the kingdom and something of our region, of our city. But she makes the statement, we need to live as if this star-breathing, life-giving, raising of the dead God is our Father. And we need to risk in accordance with that. Now, last week I was sharing on the, the revelation of faith, and faith is this thing of having an understanding of who God is, the bigness of God. It's, it's recognizing His reliability. And, and, and she's saying, we've got to go into the season with that revelation. Now, I think it's such a, a great picture for today as we celebrate Father's Day, because we have this Father who we have access to. We have a father who we can risk in accordance with him and, and knowing what he's about. I was sharing a story with the girls. They were, they were asking about the streets of gold in heaven. And there's that little joke about the, this, this rich man who 
decides he doesn't want to leave his wealth to his family. So what he does is, just before he passes away, he, he takes all his wealth and he converts it to gold and he gets these solid gold bars and he gets them as part of his will to bury him with these gold bars. And, and anyway, he dies and he gets to heaven carrying his gold bars. Now, I know the theological um, uh, incorrectness of the this, this story, but uh, bear with me anyway. But he stands in heaven and God looks at him and says, what are you doing with the paving? And, and here he has, he's taken all his earthly wealth and he's gone there and there's gold bars of the paving that we get to walk on. And, and something of this has struck me where we've got to know the bigness of our Father. Not just the bigness of our God. But there's something personal in this. Now, I, I'm, I'm not saying that we get anything our heart desires and anything we want, God gives us. But what I am saying is when you look at the battle of David and Goliath, it was an unfair fight. Not because Goliath was so big, but David saw God, looked at Goliath, and realized that Goliath didn't stand a chance. His revelation was the bigness of God, and he looks at this man, and he says, Who are you, you uncircumcised Philistine? An entire Israelite army was trembling at fear at this one man. And David looks at him, looks at God, and says, You don't stand a chance. Why? Because of the revelation of the bigness of who God is in David's life. David was able to risk it with that revelation in mind. And, and we as a church are heading to a place where we're going to have to risk things for the kingdom. Um, when we were walking through that building and, and, and Emmanuel said, let's just go and let's move in and tell them we'll move in, we'll, we'll make some changes, we'll, we'll get it ready. And, and, and the statement was, but but what happens if someone else buys it in the meantime? It's okay. We're risking it. We're prepared to risk it for the kingdom. And, and I have a sense that what God's saying to us is that there's land that's for us. I remember when we left Cornerstone and there was a number of prophetic words, a city on a hill cannot be hidden out of Matthew 5. When you walk there, and I walked into that premises on Friday, I just had a sense of God saying, this is the hill country. We breached the walls. We breached the boundary. We entered in to a place. And, I, and, and the story that came to mind was that of the, the, the 12 spies. And, and this is out of Numbers 13. And it says, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Before the spies went in, there was a promise that the land was theirs. And it says, just send men to spy out the land. What was the purpose of it? This was an opportunity for the spies to go out, to come back and bring report back of how incredible the land is that God's giving them. So it says, From each tribe of, of their fathers you shall send a man, one, every one a chief among them. These are the leaders. These are the guys that are leading each tribe, the 12 tribes of Israel. Each one was a leader of the tribe. For me, there's an expectation for leaders to be visionaries and to be pioneers. Not that they have to have the greatest vision out there, but something of, 
I want to be able to walk into a place and as a leader, lead people into the fullness of the promises that God's given. And here, God's saying, choose the leaders amongst you. Now, as we know, as the story unfolds, 10 of the leaders come back with negative report back. Two of the leaders come back with, this is the land that God's given us. But we'll carry on reading from here. It says, so Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of the men who were heads of the people of Israel. He sent them out of the wilderness and into the promised land. There were boundaries, there were restrictions, but he sent out this group. I'm going to jump to verse 17. It says, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country. Go up into the hill country. I feel on Friday we breached the hill country. We went up and we went to go look at the hill country. It says, and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell there are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, or whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds. I think even here we see Moses has lost a little bit of what God's saying. Go see if the land is good or bad. We've got to be a people who know that if God's promised us the land, it is good. Even if it's wilderness, even if it's desert place, because we know that God transforms desert places into wilderness. I mean, into, into oases, into wonderlands. God transforms these things. So we know that the end result of the land that God's giving us is good, irrespective of what it looks like. But Moses says, go in and, and look at it. It says, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now, the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob near uh, Lebohamath. And they did it, and they went, and I'm just going to just kind of um, jump ahead. And at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation. So the spies came back and they brought word to the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Today we got to see the fruit of the land. We've got this video of the fruits of the land. As we bring report back, we get to see the fruit. And they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey and there is fruit. So they, they bring back good report. We know that the land is good. There's milk and honey, there's fruit. But in verse 28, something happens. It starts off with however. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Descendants of Anak were giants. So we saw these men of overwhelming power. Says the uh, Amalekites dwell in the land of Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. Verse 30. But Caleb. So the land is good. However, and they bring this negative report. It says, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. Revelation of the Father like David standing before the giants and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? So Caleb had the same heavenly perspective of earthly things. 
Psalm 73 says, until I entered the sanctuary of the Lord, until I entered the sanctuary, then I saw their demise. As David goes and speaks about how he envied the way of the wicked and saw life in the arrogance. And, 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 and as for me, my feet had almost slipped and stumbled. Surely in vain I've kept my way pure until I entered the sanctuary of the Lord. We need to be a people with a heavenly perspective of earthly things. I was standing outside here on the phone the other day and there was this giant bird of prey that was soaring over here. The amazing thing about birds of prey is they fly up and they fly above the boundaries. Even, even um, country borders don't hinder them from crossing. They don't have to go get a visa and a passport to cross over. They fly above the boundaries because they, they soar in the heavenlies. We need to be a people whose perspective is up there so that we're not hindered by the boundaries. But Caleb quietened the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up and stand against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Temporal perspective. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is the land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw Nephilim, the son of Anak, who came from Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. So we seemed to them. Basically what happens is the congregation starts to cry out and they start to despise God and why would God want to send them to be slaughtered and surely Israel is better and why are they in the wilderness and they have this oh woe is me attitude because all of a sudden there was something of an opposition in the land that God had given them. They took their eyes off him and they looked at the problem. When Peter walks on the water, says, and he looked to the wind at the point of looking to the wind, he began to sink. He took his eyes off the Father. He took his eyes off Jesus. He took his eyes off God and looked at the obstacle that was coming to cause hindrance. And what happened? He began to sink. What happened with the people is they took their eyes off the promise that the Father had given them. They took their eyes off the bigness of God. And all of a sudden they crumbled. It says then in verse 5 on, on chapter 4, it says, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of uh, Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear for the people of the land. For they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. These were the leaders that were entrusted to go and see that the land is good. And two came back with good reports and ten didn't. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. 
sorry, I'm just going to skip ahead to a couple of things here, but we need to be a people who look at the fruitfulness of what God's doing. The land that we're looking at is incredibly expensive. It's, it comes with many challenges. There's opposition. There's a giant electric fence that separates us from it. But on Friday, we breached the land. We went and saw that it is good, that it is fruitful, exceedingly good. As Joshua said, exceedingly good. And the giants are insignificant in comparison to the God that we serve. Because we want to risk it with the revelation that he's a star-breathing God. One who brings life where there is none. Friday morning before the meeting, I woke up and I went through a passage of scripture that God's given me as a, a promise in this, in this time. And it's something I've gone through time and time and time again. Psalm 37, and it says here, and I just want to read through some of the promises quickly, but in verse 3 it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. I don't believe that God gives us everything our heart desires, but he places desires on our hearts for him and his kingdom. So we listened to the song this morning, Build your kingdom here. Win this nation back. Set our hearts on fire. We are the church. We are the hope. Bring revival here. Build your kingdom here. That is the, 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 the privilege that we have. Just commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. In verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Verse 9, the evildoer shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Last week we went through the, the frustration of the season of waiting, but it is good and it is healthy and it's part of the plan. Wait for the Lord. For the Lord, uh, so for, you shall inherit the land. Verse 11, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The word meekness is a contained strength. Sharon, I walked past you this morning as we were going into worship and I had a picture of you walking with armor and a giant spear in your hand. And I just thought, there's something of your gift to fight back the enemy. And, and I know that you've got a gift of intercession. But I just had this picture of you walking in battle, ready. And there was already an equipping that's taken place because you don't walk confidently into battle with weapons that you don't know how to use. And, and I just had the sense of this contained strength. It says, and the meek shall inherit the land. There's a contained strength. There's not a weakness, but meekness is the ability to use power and know when and how to do it. There's a gift that comes with that. It says in verse 16, better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. Better is the little that the righteous have. We might look and say, but we don't have enough, Lord. It says, better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of the wicked. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to, to shame in evil times. In the day of famine, they have abundance. So the little that we have might only be a few, few fish and some loaves. But if we're standing in the presence of the king and he says, there's 5,000 that need to be fed. Say, but this is what I've got. Come to me with what you've got in your hands. And the guy who, who directs the chosen, he often has a statement. He says, God does impossible math. Because Jesus takes 
the fish and the loaves from this little boy who was, who was almost arrogant enough to force his way into the presence of Jesus. He obviously overheard the discussion with the disciples. That's how close he was. He wasn't sitting in the back hiding away, but he forced his way into the presence. He came prepared, ready. And the moment God says, there's people that need to be fed, he comes up with what he's got in his hands. And he says, here it is. What I love about the faith of a child is they look at something like that and they believe that their, their fish and their loaves will have an impact in the, in the lives of the people around them. They are so childlike in their faith that they genuinely believe that this little is actually enough. Yeah, take what I've got. And you know what he, he didn't do? He didn't say, just give me one fish and one loaf at least that I've got. Take it all. Yeah, Jesus, take it all. Little boy. Forces himself into the presence of the Father and says, take it all. What happens is there's 12 basketfuls left over. One for every single tribe. Just thinking back onto the story of the, of the, the spies. That each one of their tribes, even the ten who didn't see the fruitfulness, their tribes got to enjoy the inheritance that the Father had given them. So better the little that the righteous has. For in the days of famine, they will have abundance. Verse 21, the wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. Just chatting to Emmanuel this morning, chatting to John this week, and, 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 and how there's some dreams over this property and and. And I heard a statement a while ago that God doesn't give cities to churches. He gives churches to cities. If we get this land, which I believe we will, we need to impact this place. It needs to be a place where people come and they find refuge. I was reminded of John 14 this morning where Jesus says there's only one way to the Father and that's through the Son. Only one way to the Father. And as I was praying over this building, I felt that a venue is immaterial in the greater scheme of things. We know that the church is not a, not a building. However, I pray that that place will be a place where people come and find the Father. It's not about a location, it's about an opportunity for people to come and meet with Him. Verse 23, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. For the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Multi-generational. The purpose of what we're doing here is not just for us. It's a multi-generational purpose. It's something where one day our children will walk into this. Dave was saying to me this morning that there's an opportunity in this church to reach children. And as we reach children, so families will come. We pray that little children will usher their families into the fullness of what God's called them to. 
Because they have a faith that is without limits and without boundaries. Verse 28, For the Lord loves justice, and he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. There's something of an ownership that comes with it. You can't dwell on something forever unless you own it. I just feel that there's something of that for us and a promise of that for us. Verse 31, the law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. Verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. In Adventure Church, I feel that God's saying, wait for him, keep his way, and we will inherit the land, irrespective of the challenges that we face. i end off with this, and I'm going to call John up as well. But um, John's dad, Henny, when he came and shared with us a little while ago, he spoke um, out of 2 Samuel 7, and this is where David says to, to Nathan, the prophet, he says, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the Lord dwells in a tent. David's saying, I need to build a house for God. And Nathan the king said to him, and Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But the same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did not speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why uh, have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I want you to just pay attention to the ands in this. There's many ands. Thus said the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be my prince over my people of Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went. And have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel. And will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more, and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people of Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, it's like a big end. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Build your kingdom here. God's got a plan in place. He's already set the provision aside. And he goes ahead of us and does the groundwork. The land that had been promised to the Israelites, God had already gone and prepared. And, and I want us to, just this morning, we're going to take a moment after this, we're going to pray into this land and trust for God to give us vision, for give, give us strategy, to give us ideas. Millie, I think of you and, and the stuff that you're working on. And I trust that we'll have, we'll have space as, as a place for, for young ladies to come and to be counseled through.
place where we benefit our community. I know there's dreams on our hearts. Think of, of Emmanuel talking about a place where people can, can come and, and get insights and education, things that equipping that they never had the opportunity to get before. Just have a sense of business. I know on Tuesday we've got our business meeting and, and um, men, ladies, come through if you can. Um, it's from 6 to 7.30, but invite business people. I have a sense that there's something of an inheritance that we have as a church. John, we've been talking about this a lot. Business people, there's an anointing here for business. I want to see people released. I believe God's shaking kingdom business. I was praying a while ago, and, and as we cry out for revival, I felt God saying to me that the reason revival is not sustained because it hasn't been resourced, but He's shaking kingdom business to resource the revival that is coming. People who will open their hands and be a conduit and a channel for outpouring so that there's resources to do. God hasn't given us the city, but he's given the city us to be a blessing to them. To see them come to knowing the Father. I pray it'll, pray it'll be a place of restoration. Pray, pray it'll be a place where the broken are made new. I was listening to a church planters forum out at the European Equip, and I was watching it on YouTube yesterday, and, and there were two things that really struck me. One, um, I was sharing with Dave this morning, but there was a... Uh, Steve Sudworth from Impangeni, who just up the drag here, went and planted a church in Chicago. Him and his wife Debs, they went and planted this church. The first man that got saved in their church was a young man by the name of Hugh. Once, and it was a one-time only thing, they printed flyers and did a flyer drop in America, out in Chicago, in the city, and one person responded to this flyer drop. A guy by the name of Hugh, he was unsaved, got saved in the church, and him and his wife, Vanessa, met his wife in the church, got married. And six years ago, they planted a church out of Anthem, which became Church of the City, became Anthem Church in Chicago. And they planted another church in Chicago. A man from Impangeni travels with his family to Chicago to plant a church. This guy, Hugh, picks up a flyer and says, hmm, why not? I don't know how many thousands of flyers they set up, but one man responded. He gets saved. Meets his wife, they feel the call of God, and they leave the church to go and plant another church. And for six years, they've been faithfully leading a church in Chicago. Because we don't know who's on the other end of our obedience. Another man goes to a men's meeting, quite a ruffian. says he would go to church every, every two months or so just to kind of pay penance for the rubbish that he had got up to in between. Ex-professional golfer goes there, and, and something happens. Goes back on the Sunday and just hears this message and, and something starts stirring up. He grabs his wife, he grabs his kids and he goes to the front and he responds to an altar call. And some man who doesn't know him says, the testimony that was shared today is something that you'll be sharing. You'll be speaking to people, you'll be speaking over their lives. Okay. He goes and he says every Sunday he moved a couple of rows further forward. And a couple of rows further forward. And then one day he found himself standing in the worship team, looking upon the back of the church from the front. He just said, and Lord, I see how far I had come. For you to save a man like me. Wasn't on the leadership team. Wasn't even a deacon in the church. Just, just 
God moves his family to Malta, has a business opportunity, and he knows he can't go without the call of God. So what does he do? He goes and plants a church in Malta. Grant Crawford, who was his pastor at the time, when this guy says, I want to go plant a church, understand he's got nothing in terms of formal ability, but he's got a passion for the king, and he feels a call, and he says, I'm going. He says, come join our elders' meetings, at least get a feel. And they planted the site of One Life in Malta, and he would be involved in their eldership meetings, and he got equipped on the job. He started gathering. Met in a living room like this and started gathering people. One lady, a Maltese lady, met an American man on a dating app. This guy connects with ladies around the world on a dating app and shares the gospel with them. There's no intention of getting into a relationship, but he's used the dating apps as a, as a platform. She gets radically saved through encounters with this man. And he flies out, connects with Andre, the guy who plants the church. He flies out to ensure that this woman is plugged in to a Jesus teaching church. This lady is now leading worship in their church. Got radically saved. An ex-professional golfer from out in um, Hillcrest. Gets a business opportunity in Malta. God does something in his heart. He goes there. Some man in America finds this most outrageous strategy of ministering to people. Ministers to this lady. She gives her life in Malta. He flies out at his own cost and connects the two of them together. Now she leads worship in their church. God does incredible things with those who are willing to go. God does incredible things with those who are willing to look at the fruitfulness and say, this enemy doesn't stand a chance. For those who look upon the giants and say, who are you, you uncircumcised Philistine? 